He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Munson's at the movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. This time we will start with James. Uh, going to the NFL Combine this weekend. Also going to see the new Batman movie. So this is pretty much peak podcaster weekend for me. I'm pretty pumped about it. Case. I had a uh, near tragic moment in my life that was averted by seconds. I had lost track of the fact that the season two of Righteous Gemstones had been on. And I almost didn't get caught up before the season finale. And that would have been devastating to me. I figured it out. I got caught up and I tuned in and I watched the season finale live. I know Adam McKay is probably going to be disappointed when he hears this. But Danny McBride will probably get over it. So we're in good shape. I love Righteous Gemstones. It's such a good show. And your boy Eric Andre was on it. I know he was. That's why I was so bummed out. <laughs> Other than that, man, just excited to talk about Angela Badass tonight. I must have missed that last name change she did uh, last couple of years. That's good. I said Bassett, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Same number of syllables and everything. Close enough. Rigby. Yeah, speaking of Adam McKay, I'm very excited for this Laker, this 80s Lakers show on HBO that's coming out on March 6th. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Wait, what? Oh, you haven't heard about this? No. Uh, it's called Winning Time. It's based on like the Showtime era of the Lakers. So Magic, Kareem, Jerry Buss. Yeah, John C. Riley plays Jerry Buss. <laughs> excited for that. And jealous you guys are going to the Combine. It'll be interesting to see... Which one of you sees the next first-round bust in the flesh? Jets and Lions fans. Neither of our teams are ever known for terrible draft decisions. I don't know what you're talking about, Rigby. So in relation to that, one of my good friends is obsessed with the NFL draft, and he always brings up athletes' hand size. And I always make fun of him because like, it's the most obscure thing to bring up. And so I measured my hands the way that they measure the athletes' hands in uh, the NFL Combine. And according to their records, I would have the smallest hands in the history of the tight end position. <laughs> yeah, Joe Burrow got a lot of shit for his hands and look at it. He made the Super Bowl. There's never been an NFL tight end that has my sized hands. Not yet. Not yet. But I might make the team this weekend. There's still a moment. Yeah. We'll see how you test. I'm here to sadly report that James and I had a, a little tiff on Twitter this week when he disagreed with my stance that Joey Gallo needs to learn how to bunt the opposite way, hit the ball the opposite way, instead of complaining about the shift in professional baseball. But it doesn't matter because the season's not going to happen. So it really yeah. isn't a thing. Rob Manfred shutting down baseball as of today. He's an idiot. The day we record, not the day this is released. Very sad. I wouldn't trust Manfred to order, like, to take a lunch order, let alone to finalize a collective bargaining agreement the dude's an idiot he screw up your jimmy john's order is that what you're saying yeah hopefully they'll get it 
squared away sooner rather than later so we can watch some baseball. But happy to bring back one of our favorite guests. We've got Mark Yerke back with us on the pod. Normally we have a bio. For some reason in the show notes it says insert bio here. I, I guess he forgot to knock it out because he just became a dad and he's been working a lot. But he's here and we're, we're better for it. Uh, Yerke previously joined us for the Chris Tucker and Emily Blunt episodes. And in particular, the Emily Blunt episode, I think still top a top three are in my book still to this day. I mean, he brought the fire last time he was here. So welcome back, Yerke. How's life? And you know, how's dad life? I'm excited. That's a lot of pressure. That's uh, <laughs> because right now, like my like you said, I you know, we just had our baby in January, which is super great. And I just came back from a week long work conference that we put on. So like I'm about as with it as like room temperature oatmeal so when we're talking like top three like previous performances uh we're gonna we're gonna try to aspire to that level already you know everyone's talking about the combine and for me like being the idaho nerd boy that i am i'm trying to debate if that's like half-life villains or farm equipment (laughs) and thankfully i have like four people of context clues to understand that it's neither of those i'm doing good i'm excited i'm always excited to join you guys so thanks for putting up with me again good to have you back dude we're glad to have you man absolutely glad to have you let's dig in and uh, talk about some angela bassett birthdays march 10th rigby what do we got First up, we have every man's fantasy woman from the 1990s, Sharon Stone. She's in Casino, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, both Basic Instincts. Yeah, and she's still still grinding away. And, oh yeah, James, she's also an alpha dog. I should have said that. And she's great. She is great. <laughs> she's only in it for like 30 seconds. Though. You guys, this one's going to be sad. This is going to make me feel really old. That's the idea. Would you like to go first? I am. I'll go first. 50. No, I, I was going to say 65. Give me 58. I'll split the middle. I was going to say 60. Uh, Yerky wins. Craig, you were actually one year off. She's turning 64. <sighs> so you were a little bit too high, but Yerky, Yerky gets it. Dang it. Yeah, Sharon Stone's turning 64 on March 10th. We love a guest win. I think that's a first victory for me. Oh, in your three episodes? Your first yeah. one? Nice. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the batting average sport reference for that? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. We should go look at people's stats on this, figure out who's gotten the most right. Hey, Gerke, we I could give you that baseball reference. In the uh, 80s, the Minnesota Twins had a catcher named Tim Laudner, who was affectionately referred to as Timmy 200 because it was almost impossible for him to finish the season with over a 200 batting average. That's the category <laughs> you would probably fall in here. Sounds like a really swell guy. <laughs> oh, he was a great dude, not a great hitter. Speaking of baseball, he's a baseball lover. Don Draper himself, John Hamm. Mad Men, The Town, and Baby Driver. Old old Big Dick Hamm. Also hilarious in Bridesmaids, I will say that. Yeah, very good in that. I'll kick us off, but you can't accuse me of collusion if that's okay. (laughs) 51? 59. Based on when he committed a crime at the University of Texas, I think he is probably like 55. All right, give me 53. All right, Yerky on the dot, 51, John Hamm. <laughs> that's that's good. Fuck it, Tony. This man's on fire. Scotty's on fire. Two for two, Gerky. Let's, uh, let's go for three here. Now, uh, last but not least, Olivia Wilde, director of Booksmart, but also in, give me some movies she was in. Alpha Dog as well, James. The Dick is his ex. She's one of Johnny, Tr- Johnny True Love. Is that his name in Alpha Dog? 
Yeah, or True True Blood or something True like Blood, that. Yeah, she's one of his she's one of his friends who like party. Really? Yeah. I don't remember her at all. Yeah, well, wasn't she wasn't she in that Tron like sequel she was. movie? She was yeah, in Tron. Tron uh Legacy. Is that yeah. the second mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Give me 45. 47. 49? I have no clue. I'm going to go younger. Wasn't she hooking up with Harry Styles for a minute there? She still yeah. is. They're still dating. Oh, wow. Okay. So maybe she's on a little Stella got your groove back. And she's forty-one. So you got you all guessed older, and James was the closest one. She's actually turning thirty-eight, which is crazy. Holy I shit. thought she was a lot older. Than that. Wow! So Good she's been him. in, yeah, she's been in the game for a long time, and now she's doing directing and directing good movies. So yeah, she's got a long, good career ahead of her. I want to apologize to Olivia Wilde because I was just going with the pattern, and now I realize in hindsight how guessing 49 for Olivia Wilde was absolutely bonkers, batshit crazy. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, dude. Good for her. She's crushing it and still has a long way to go. So uh, Before we move on, what's my new batting average? <laughs> two for three there. Dude, yeah. Two for, <laughs> oh, pretty two, good. Two for nine. That's a hot streak anyway. Yeah, two it. for nine. Yeah. Yeah. You broke 200, though. You and Timmy 200 are not in the two. same league anymore. Two for nine is probably about what the average MLB hitter hits, so that's good for yep. you, man. That's yeah. perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my LinkedIn. We are at episode 57, and with that, we had five actors we threw onto the wheel as usual. Four of them were not selected. Those four were Lauren Weedman, Randall Park, Jason Schwartzman, and Benjamin Bratt. And the wheel has chosen Angela Bassett. And Yerky decided to join us for Angela following his previous appearances. And before we get into Angela's career and life and all the other things you come to expect to hear us talk about. Again, we don't talk about every role. We just try to hit a lot of the highlights along the way. She has 103 credits on her resume, so just eclipsed the century mark. So quite a bit, and we'll get into it. James will start us off with a little actor trivia to see if he can stump us Fast and Furious style. So Mark, you're a you're part of the initiated, so you might remember this, but a quick refresher. I'm going to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be about Angela Bassett, and one of them is going to be about one of the many stars from the Fast and Furious franchise. You guys got to guess which one is not true about Angela Bassett. You don't have to guess what actor it is, but the guys have been getting pretty good at that because I am running out of facts because we're on episode like 50-something at this point, and there's just not that many fascinating things about the actors from the Fast and Furious franchise. But fact number one, she battled jaundice throughout her childhood, and the medicine she was given made her upper teeth rot, fall out, and not grow back until she was 10 years old. Fact number two is the highest paid black actress in broadcast television history. Fact number three is the lyricist on a techno song, which is currently the intro song for the sixth ranked premier league soccer team, Arsenal. Whoa, that's difficult. That's why you guys pay me the big bucks. I'm going to take a swing at the first pitch here, and I'm going to say that fact number three is the lie. I'm going to say it's Idris Elba. Notable DJ Idris Elba. That's a very good guess. I forgot that he did that. <laughs> that oh, a, shit. I'm wrong. You're not right. <laughs> but, dude, that is a very good guess. That is a good guess. I've had a run where I've been guessing that my girl Secunda Wood is in something, and I'm, I'm going to move away as her informal publicist. Was it the cease and desist order that you received? 
<laughs> it was the very not so public lashing I received from her manager saying, stop, please stop. <laughs> Just kidding. Her IMDb score is going up by the second. You're welcome. It's as high as it's ever been in her career. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're here for her. Take that back. It's as high as it's been since the diary of Ellen Rimbauer was released in 2003. I have been waiting for a while now for James to mention this actor, so I'm going to go on a Shea Wiggum run for the foreseeable future and say that fact one is about Shea Wiggum. I think three is the lie. I just don't... I guess I'll go Gal Gadot for that. Ooh. I don't know if Gal Gadot can can sing, though. That's a good guess, too. Can she sing? Sure. Yeah. Well, we'll we're about to find out. Yeah, I mean, my gut was number three. Now, I've seen just as many Fast and Furious movies as I have the last two times. <laughs> then we've done this. You know, there's going to be a lot of Vin Diesel facts in this <laughs> segment today. You picking number three? Is that what well, you're I'm saying? I'm picking number three. Fair. So what no one picked was number two, highest paid black actress in broadcast television history. And that is true. Scandal-leading lady, Carrie Washington, and How to Get Away with Murder star, Viola Davis, uh, were the previous highest-earning black actresses, making 250 k and 400 k per episode, respectfully. When season five of 911 was renewed by Fox, Angela Bassett became the highest-paid actress in broadcast television history, uh, black actress, making 450 k per episode. Impressive. Fact number three, which you guys guessed uh, that she is a lyricist on a techno song, which is currently the intro song for the sixth ranked Premier League soccer team Arsenal, is true. So, released in April of 1999 in the fourth single from the album, You've Come a Long Way, Baby, DJ Fatboy Slim samples Ashes, The Rain, and I, a song by James Gang. And the only lyrics in that song are a sample from Angela Bassett in the movie Strange Days, where she says, Right here. Right now, right and that now. is yep. right and here. that is right now. Right here. Oh. Right now. Yeah. And it peaked at number two in uh, the UK charts in 1999. It's the that's, title of the song. That's such a cool fact. I've heard that song thousands of times, and I would have never known that. Good job, James. Same here. And then when you re-listen to it, you're like, oh yeah, I guess I can picture it because he didn't alter her voice. It's just her on loop for the entirety of the song. And fact number one, which no one guessed, that she battled jaundice throughout her childhood. Her teeth fell out and didn't grow back until she was 10 years old. The Queen is back. That is actually a fact about Charlize Theron, a.k.a. Cypher, in The Fate of the Furious and Fast and Furious 9. I love it. I did guess that, but I guess it was not Shea Wiggum. For someone who is stunningly beautiful, Charlize Theron's had quite a life where that wasn't the case. I'm telling you, every episode we talk about her, a documentary about her life is getting closer and closer to getting greenlit. It's amazing. <laughs> Dude, it's unbelievable. Yeah, her score just went up in my book just for that right here, right now. That's crazy. <laughs> Dude, that's when I, uh, when, I, when I read that, I was like, that can't be true. And then it is even said by Fatboy Slim himself. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, I saw that movie and uh, you know, I thought I could sample it in some way. Hey, the next time I'm at a social get-together and I want to make things awkward, I'm going to awkwardly introduce that as a fact that no one knows that I'm going to act. I'm just going to make it very awkward for everybody. Like, everybody knew that, right? <laughs> Common knowledge. Be like, wow, you, you guys aren't really in tune with the, the cultural zeitgeist if you aren't aware of Angela Bassett's sample. <laughs> Pretty sure I've heard that song at every single sporting event I've ever been to. Yep. Do they play it at the Combine? 
(laughs) (laughs) They will now. If you're listening at this point, you came here for some facts. Nuggets about Angela Bassett. By golly, you got your money's worth so far. Yeah. That's, That's a fun one. So James... Always impressive at his craft. I do what I can. All right, snapshot and box office history case. Tell us about Angela and her impact. She's very, very middle of the road. I think it makes sense, though, as I started plugging everything in, because it's one of those deals. Her career has been so long with just a lot of work. For every great project she has, it seems like she's got a bad project in terms of box office. So a lot of her numbers really do cancel out. I have a lot of really fun things to say about her tonight, and so I'm going to spend my time on some of her more notable box office flops. She's had movies that have lost 22 million, 12 million, 15 million. We have a movie with a budget of 90 million dollars that world grossed 15 million. Anybody want to take a guess as to what movie that is? Well, <laughs> I can take that guess. Is it Supernova? <laughs> it's Supernova. Yeah, it absolutely it, is Supernova. <laughs> it's it's super shitty is what it is. <laughs> it took a beating. I mean, you guys, that movie lost $75 million. That's an impressive amount of money for a $90 million budget. That's only like $5 million less than the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> like, that's not insignificant. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Well, when I get to my review, it's, you know, it's pretty much on par with the theatrical masterpiece of the Lord of the Rings franchise. <laughs> Can't believe it wasn't as successful. So getting into the, in some of the more specific numbers, she ranks 21st in average film budget. A new category that I've started calculating and comparing on our list of 57 actors, her total box office ranks ninth. Oh, wow. So not only is she the the number one African-American actress in television, she's on our list ninth. That's pretty impressive. Star Meter's 40th. Critic ranking is 26th. Fan ranking is 21st. And then she's 40th and 21st on two different box office metrics which ranks her 34th out of 57. Are we surprised by that at all, guys? I don't know. She, she's got such name recognition that when, when she was first like the chosen actress for this pod, like this episode, I was like, oh, of course, everyone knows Angela Bess. And then going through her filmography, I, I didn't realize that, like there's a lot of supporting roles and there's a lot of bombs. And yeah. So I've been kind of thrown off on my perception of her and where she would rank as I've kind of researched for this. Well, we shall see how 34th ranks up to her Munson meter. Thanks, Case. You bet. All right. First major role we're going to cover is 91. So let's let's just get into some of the earlier years, kind of where she, com- where she comes from, what led her to the world of acting, and everything in between. So first and foremost, she was born in New York City, but moved to St. Pete, Florida when she was four. So I think she, based on interviews, it seems like she identifies more as being from Florida, from the St. Pete area. Huge Jackson 5 obsession as a kid, which is interesting because she was in the Jackson 5 like TV special years later and ended up playing Michael Jackson's mom in that. So a little full circle on that front for her career. In high school, I mean, she was a five-tool player. She was a cheerleader. She was on the debate team. She was in student government. She was in the drama club. She was in the choir. I mean, she did everything. I mean, and you, you could see it. That led her to going to Yale. Right, no big deal. Right, doing the Ivy League thing, and where she studied African American studies, and even to to today, she said that if she wasn't an actor, she would be a teacher, and she would probably teach history, African American studies, things like that. Very much a nerd, even in her early days. At Yale, 
she was in the well, she got her master's in fine arts and drama, and that's where she met her future husband, Courtney B. Vance, a successful re- actor in his own right, done some really cool projects, would be a guy that would be really interesting to cover one day. You see, you say that, dude, but I've watched a lot of Courtney B. Vance stuff, and he is just a cop in everything. Yeah. He's, been, he's been a cop for 40 years. Real law and order guy. Yep. And any movie you've seen him in, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the cop. Yeah, he's, I forgot. <laughs> successful uh, in his own right, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. She was also classmates with Charles Dutton, who is another pretty famous African-American actor who's done some cool stuff, too. An episode of Ryan's Hope in 75 was the earliest piece that you'll find on her resume on her IMDb. But really, when she got her acting start was in 1985 in a uh, production of Black Girl at the Second Stage Theater. Um, It was her first mainstream theater role. So not unlike a lot of other performers we've covered, you know, starting on the stage and moving to the, the the big screen a little bit after that. Her first recurring role was in Search for Tomorrow as Selena in 1985. She was in 10 episodes of that show and then made a very brief appearance as Angela in FX in 1987. Very small role, but a fun movie. Yeah. If you love movies and like production and stuff, it's just like a, it's a blast to watch. Yeah. I would still consider that an original premise. Mm-hmm. premise mm-hmm. yeah even though yeah. it's as old as it is the early career if you look at her imdb you look at rotten tomatoes what you'll notice is that in those early days as she's starting to become an actress and putting her energy into this a lot of small brief tv appearances and a lot of tv movies so between 85 and 91 16 tv appearances and six tv movies and you know, not a lot of them have a lot of fanfare. A few of them, though. I mean, she was in Spencer for Hire. She was in the Cosby Show, 227. So some big shows at that time. But like, in, you know, she didn't catch her big break. It wasn't like, you know, Cameron Diaz coming out of the gate with the mask yeah. and then entering into a successful acting career. I mean, she had to hustle. And also, keep in mind, as an Af- African-American actress, the environment is not built for African-American actors and actresses to just like come out of nowhere and just start having this incredible career, right? Like that's, that's not how Hollywood was set up at the time. Those roles were a little bit more few and far between. But I guess the first big notable movie after FX was her role as a stewardess in 1990s Kindergarten Cop, another small role. Rest in peace, Ivan Reitman. The scene on the plane is hilarious. Hey, if you kick my seat one more time, this is what I'm going to do with you. And he breaks the pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your daddy? And what does he do? (laughs) Just like FX, though, I would have never pointed out Angela Bassett in this because it's such a small, you know, such a small role. Yep. Seen the movie a ton and didn't even recognize that she was in it. I thought Courtney B. Vance played a great cop in that movie, though. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like that accent. I didn't see it coming. And then a dozen episode of The Flash in 91. And that leads her to her first major role, which was in 91's Boys in the Hood. An absolute classic. And Case has this review this time. Growing up in a small, very rural, cold-ass Minnesota town, watching this movie, it was like watching something so different from anything I've ever experienced or seen. It was mesmerizing how different it was. It's a really good movie, and it was a fun rewatch because I haven't watched it, right, in, in probably two decades. This is a 1991, let's call it a urban drama, which was written and directed by John Singleton. This was part of Singleton's application to film school, Later on, when he graduated, he sold it to Columbia Pictures. The other interesting thing is that he was the youngest person and first African-American to be nominated for Best Director. 
And the movie was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. So right out of the gates, man, this movie is nominated for Best Director and Best Screenplay. And we've talked about a lot of shitty movies that are derivative of shitty scripts. And, and this movie kind of goes the other way. It's a great script, and, and the movie goes in that direction. But it basically follows high school kids who are really struggling to survive the uh, streets of South L.A., and it focuses on Trey Styles, who's played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And Angela Bassett plays his mother. And Lawrence Fishburne, or Larry Fishburne, as he was known at the time, plays his father. Trey is sent to live with his father, Lawrence Fishburne. And then it also stars Ice Cube. He's kind of the, the troublemaker brother of one of the other characters. It's a really good movie to watch. And it was fun to do the rewatch. I thought the film in certain areas, was a little bit overproduced with music. I had never noticed that, but watching it this time around, there's some really authentically dramatic moments, and Singleton starts throwing in some really weird music. That could have been studio-driven. That could have been him just not having as much confidence. Ice Cube is clearly going to be a star after this movie. He's a natural. And then the final thing I thought was interesting about this movie is that in 2002, the uh, Library of Congress deemed this movie, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And it was selected uh, for preservation in the National Film Registry. I don't know if we've covered any other movies that have been recognized by the Library of Congress. So that's pretty impressive. As it relates to Angela Bassett, she's probably got about 15 minutes of screen time in this movie. The first, you know, first part of it, middle part of it, end part of it. And she plays Cuba Gooding Jr.'s mother. And she plays opposite of Lawrence Fishburne. And she's fantastic in all of her scenes. She's playing a very strict, very stern mother who has high expectations, high standards. I thought that the, the beginning where she reads a contract that she had her son sign about not getting into trouble was really interesting. And the way she delivered it, I was like, I, I could see her being a really tough mother. I don't know whether or not she is, but I could see her being it based on this role. But, you know, I really enjoyed this movie. It really communicated and presented a lot of really, really tough subjects and made them into a good story. And by the way, she's she was 32 during this movie. Wow. So I think it's important to know. But like when she finally made her big break, she was past 30. So she's at, you know, in terms of maturity, I think she's at a different place than probably a lot of young actors and actresses are at between 18 and 21. She probably should have had a bigger role in this movie, but I don't know how it would have fit into the story. Yeah. But she could have handled a bigger role and kicked ass. Lawrence Fishburne's only seven years older than Cuba Gooding Jr. and played his dad in this. So it shows you the power that of glasses of what they can do for someone. <laughs> <laughs> glasses and high slacks with a tight belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you made a good point that her scene is awesome where she's like talking to him in the car, but there really isn't, there really isn't room for her in this because the whole dynamic is about, is about the chemistry between Cuba Gooding and Lawrence Fishburne yeah. and her, him moving in with his dad. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's a, it's a good point and something that needs to be thought about when you're, when you're considering her role in this movie. The scene where she's having a uh, coffee with Lawrence Fishburne, well, she she straightens him right out, and it is yeah very impressive. I was gonna say he straightens her out in the in a, a movie that's coming up yeah. in a few years. Wait so. till my review. We'll get to that one. Yeah, my only real critique of this movie is when Ricky gets shot. He's supposed to be this like world class athlete, and he makes it like a step. <laughs> he makes it a step before he gets blown away. 
you know, like Kyle in Major League not really liking the batting average of Wesley Snipes' character is like, don't tell me this guy is the number one high school recruit and he can't make it one step out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) He had to take a leap. I feel validated. I do. We've had several other people we've looked at that have affected the internet. You know, we we go all the way back to uh, Jackie Chan, who was part of a Chris Tucker flick who created Rotten Tomatoes. And we had J-Lo who crashed Google not too long ago. Well, there still is a popular meme that says, new phone, who dis? So that actually can be traced back to Boys in the Hood. Cuba Gooding Jr. is talking to his girlfriend on the phone, and he's trying to have a little sexy talk with her, and he gets annoyed because somebody keeps calling, and he clicks over, and he goes, who dis? And Angela Bassett goes, who dis? This is your mother. Well, how dare you answer the, like, she starts reading the riot act. (laughs) Fast forward to like around 2010, somebody somehow got hot with the phrase who dis on Twitter. And then about three or four years later, it blew up big time with with the meme of new phone, who dis. And so we could really trace the evolution of the phrase new phone, who dis back to Angela Bassett. So her first major role is in a movie of incredible cultural significance. Then and now. Great way to start. Yeah. Great way to start. And just so to know, right, like 85, 91, took her six years to really get that first role when she broke into the industry. So it took her some hustling. She had to, she had to hustle to get there. It was not given to her on a silver platter, for sure. So a couple of years before our next review in 92, she is in a movie called Critters 4. Has anybody seen Critters 4? No, but I have seen Critters because it was like one of the all-time go to the VHS, you know, renting movie store. And it had the cover of this like ball of critters that were eating people. And so I immediately pushed my dad to watch that. And then I didn't realize because horror movies are so cheap, they make so much money. They made a thousand of these. So it it was shocking to find out she was in Critters 4, the fourth installment. I didn't see it, but based on the description, it is so different than anything else she's done in her career. And she talks about how she hates horror movies and like being on American Horror Story was really cool for her to see the movie, like see the process. But it's so weird that she was in this because this is not her genre at all. But younger actress, you know, she's doing the work to get in work wherever she can. She gets to be more purposeful as she gets a little bit older. But I thought this was fascinating and I wish I had a chance to see it. I don't think you do. It, it's probably horrific. I, but it'd be fun to watch her in a cheesy horror <laughs> film. So a creature feature would be fun. Also 92, she's in Passion Fish as Rhonda, a movie that has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and is technically her highest critic score, but she's just not in it very much. She's really only in like one elongated scene in the movie, but it has Mary McDonald, David Strather, and Alfre Woodard. So it's got a pretty good cast. And I believe Mary McDonald was nominated for an Oscar. She might have won the Oscar for this movie. She was nominated. And then John Sayles was not nominated for the screenplay as well. It's about a disabled woman who's like, she's now recently disabled and struggling with the her identity and Alfred Woodard plays her caretaker in the movie. And Angela plays a friend, like a hoity-toity friend of Mary McDonald who comes into the, the picture a little bit later in the movie to kind of remind her of what her life used to be. So a small role, but there is a really weird anal probe story in the Angela Bassett sequence that is famous. And so if you're listening and you're like, anal probe story, that's interesting. Go watch Passion Fist. Get about two-thirds of the way in and you'll see what I'm talking about. I don't think I want to. 
Teasers, folks. Teasers. I'm here for. Are you sure that's not in MacGruber? <laughs> 92. She's an innocent blood as U.S. Attorney Sinclair. We see her play a lot of like law enforcement type characters throughout her career. So I think this is the first big one along the way. And then 92, she plays Betty in Malcolm X. Pretty big role in a pretty big movie. This movie is really good. And her as Betty Shabazz is sets up a trend for her later career where she plays these really influential African-American women throughout history. There's no part of Malcolm X's life that he did not cover in like deeply. <laughs> like three and a half hours. You know everything. Uh, but the movie is very good. It's really cool. The breadth of real life people that she has played in her career. Yep, they trust her with these characters, these biopic type characters. Malcolm X is also in the uh, National Film Registry at the Library of Congress. Go. Oh, there you there go. There we go. Wow, she's in two of them. We're sensing a trend. Look she's, up the other ones. Wait, is it is it two or three? Was Critters Four in there also? <laughs> well, that takes us to highest critic score, which is 1993's "What's Love Got to Do." What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. I feel like you have to if you're going to do that. Yeah, that's not a complete disservice to Tina Turner by you singing. <laughs> not at all. Hey, as we'll get into, I'm not. It's not a disservice to Angela because she lip synced the entire movie. So I know I'm not shitting on her. But you know, it's you know, we'll get there. It's like one of the greatest you know singers of all time. Yeah, we'll get there. So I'd never seen this before, so it was a good one to cross off my list. It's in terms of highest critic score. While Passion Fish is at that 100%, Angela is the lead in this, and it's still rocking a 96-88 split on Rotten Tomatoes, so beloved across the board. $15 million budget, world gross 39. Okay. Yeah, more than doubled. You'll take it every time. It was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, Angela Bassett got her Oscar nom, her one and only Oscar nom in her career. Spoiler alert. And L- Larry Fishburne also got an Oscar nom. What I thought was interesting about that little trivia is this was the first movie with two African-American leads that were nominated for Academy Awards since 1972's Sounder. And it hadn't happened again until Ma Rainey's Black Bottom a couple of years ago. It's only three times in history as a movie produced two African-American leads that both were nominated in the lead categories of the Oscars. So rare company for this one, for sure. What's also interesting is that Fishburne turned on this role five times until Angela Bassett took on the role of the lead, and that's when he decided to sign on because of his relationship with her. So I thought that was pretty cool considering her influence. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. As you probably know by now, Angela plays Tina Turner in this movie, and she lip syncs all the lyrics, but what she nails is the mannerisms of Tina Turner because Tina Turner is such an eccentric performer with her body, Mm -hmm. her body and the way she contorts and like, She's never standing directly, like, great posture when she sings. She's always, like, cocked to the side, and it's a lot of arm movement. And I will say Angela does a phenomenal job matching the mannerisms of Tina Turner in this movie to the point that sometimes I was like, is that Tina Turner up there? Yeah. Great job on her on that. Um, Tina Turner was also a huge fan of the casting of Angela Bassett. Yep. There's a few things I didn't like about this movie. The one thing is Tina Turner openly has said she wishes the tr- the movie was way more truthful. She's like, almost none of that happened to me. So it's very much a Hollywood production, a dramatic production. So I, I wouldn't even really call it a biopic, more of a, a fictional rendering of her life. But Tina Turner, I think, you know, she's like there are some really brutal scenes in the movie. And while it was awesome to watch, it also got really tiring by the end to watch Larry Fishburne continue to whoop her ass 
from start to finish. I know that's the reality of Ike and Tina Turner in their relationship, but it's just not fun to watch those parts, especially because there's a pretty brutal sexual assault scene in there as well that really was like icing on the cake where I was like, oh man, if this didn't really happen, uh, we didn't really need to do this. What you were mentioning about Tina Turner saying that, you know, not a lot of what happened in the movie was true. Ike Turner, uh, and for those who aren't familiar, he was very abusive and it was famously abusive to where many people in the music industry were aware and watched him publicly beat her. And Ike Turner, after this movie came out, he had an autobiography called Taking Back My Name. And he said that the scene where he rapes her didn't happen. And the scene where he confronts her backstage with a gun also didn't happen. But those are the only two scenes he said didn't happen. That didn't happen. And I don't think he's really grasping that that doesn't exonerate him from being a piece from of anything shit. else. From anything else. <laughs> There's a whole two other hours of him being a horrific person. To give Angela some props for being a trooper, there's a sequence in their first physical altercation where she fall, flips over the couch and she actually broke her hand, had a hairline fracture in her hand during that scene. And she, it was interesting because I read it and I watched that scene and she just keeps going, right? And I think like her trauma at that moment is like authentic pain because she just broke her hand on that, on that fall back there. I think this movie, if it wasn't for the two leads' performances would be no greater than like a made-for-TV movie. Yes. But I think Lawrence Fishburne is unbelievable in this movie because you hate him instantaneously and he just keeps driving into it. And Angela Bassett keeps like that emotional center where like you're rooting for her, but you're like she's actively not helping herself here because everyone is saying like you got to leave this dude and she can't do it. And he just keeps emotionally abusing her. And like, if those two didn't nail those roles, I don't think this movie is a success. But because they were so great in it, and I think they both deserve to be nominated for Oscars for it, I think this movie's good. This is the first time for me seeing it too. And I remember watching like the first, you know, 20 minutes thinking like, I watched it by myself. My wife and I have very different movie tastes. And I was like, oh shit, like this would be a great one to watch with her. And it very quickly got into like the nope category. <laughs> Like on that front, because because of the abuse. And I think, you know, to your point, again, I think Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne just do an incredible job. I think selling, like, again, what it looks like to be trapped in an abusive relationship. And I think, you know, oftentimes it's really easy to look up from the outside and say, like, well, how could you how could you not leave this? How could you not be a part of this? But I thought the movie did a great job, again, portraying, you know, again, Tina Turner. Or, again, I don't know what's real or not, but at least towards, you know, Tina Turner's, like, past as, like, an abandoned child, and thinking about, you know, how she like pours everything into, you know, every relationship that she has. The, the scene that really stood out to me, like that helped encapsulate like what kept her with Ike for so long was when his mistress like showed up with with her with his kids and she just immediately like took them in. Right. Like she understands what it means to be abandoned and, and I think fight against that at every, you know, with every fiber of her being. So, you know, I thought. I, I had a hard time for a bit like watching that, but as I reflected more on the movie, I thought I think that they did a really good job of showing like just how hard she would fight for something if she thought it could work. You know, like if I could like snap my fingers and change this movie, it would literally just be that like Angela Bassett would just like beat the shit out of Lawrence Fishburne with her <laughs> absolute guns because like, her arms was, are like, huge, yeah, shredded, just absolutely <laughs> shredded in this. Movie. And again, I know like like you said, like she did such a great job, like being Tina Turner, but that was something I just was like, God, I just wish she just would have 
crush this man. So you want that Tarantino moment where he flips it and she just yeah. beats yeah. the shit out of him? Body slams him. I was just hoping in the car, right? Just like throw him out of it at that point, like something. So what's wild about this, you guys, is in 1993, so this is made in 92, Tina Turner's at like the peak of her career. They're having <laughs> Angela Bassett play somebody who is alive and is at the peak of her career. Like that they couldn't be more intimidating than that. Yeah, usually they wait a little while before they dig into that kind of thing. And Tina Turner was, like you talked about, Kyle, she was very distinct and very iconic. And while that may seem like it's easier to play, I, I would argue it's probably tougher. So this is a tough role, and I would recommend watching the documentary on HBO. It's incredible. And to your point, James, it, yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate that this sometimes felt like a made-for-TV movie because Tina Turner's life and career are so are so amazing. In fact, she's Tina Turner is still relevant to the point where Sirius XM just gave her a limited time channel 30 years after this movie was made. Wow. And she's only like two, three years into her career starting. So it's like a relatively unknown. It's like, oh, that was the woman in Malcolm X. Yeah, she was really good. But I don't know. Can she do Tina Turner? Like, is this possible? Because it's her first big lead. Yep. Everything else up to this point had been supporting characters. So this is this is a huge and your first lead, you get the Oscar now. That's big. That's big time deal. It's a huge deal for her. In 90, 91, 93, and 94, Tina Turner was nominated for Grammys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, and by the way, Angela Bassett, go play this icon. Here's the most interesting thing for me personally as I watch this movie. I'm a big Bob Seger fan, right? I grew up on Bob Seger growing oh, up in wow. Michigan. Right? I did not know that. I grew up listening to the Live Bullet album. And on the Live Bullet album, there's a song called Nutbush City Limits that he sings live. Now, I had only known the Bob Seger version. I thought that was a Bob Seger song until I watched this movie. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. She wrote that song. It's about, she's from Nutbush, Tennessee. It's about her life. Blew my mind because I was so used to. You saying that I, fa I find fascinating because when I watched this movie, in my head, I went, she has such a unique voice. And it's Lawrence Fishburne playing Ike Turner. He, it, you know, when he first meets her, he says like, "You kind of sing like a man, but you know, like you're clearly a woman." But and when I listened to it, it's like she's got that raspy rocker voice. And my thought was like, kind of like Bob Seger, where it's like, hundred percent. You wouldn't say he's this, you know, like normal vocalist. It's a rock voice, and it's a great rock voice, and it's the same with her. And for that to be a woman and a black woman doing that at that time, it, it was like instantaneously, she was the star of the show. People were so drawn to her and Ike Turner being an insecure alcoholic immediately becomes this like monster. Yep. Cause she wrote Nutbush City Limits in 73 and he recorded that version in 76. So it was very, pre very present. But again, I was born in 88, so I had no clue. Still, she is the first and only African-American recipient of the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Uh, was the first, still is the only ever. Wow. That's huge. Yep. That's a big deal. So that's What's Love Got to Do With It. Started off first lead role, nails it out of the park, gets the Oscar nom, the Golden Globe, and leaves quite the legacy. At least paves the, the trail for her legacy. So we got five years until the next review. Over that time, we'll hit a couple of the big... There's some biggies here in those five years. First and foremost, the movie that Craig mentioned early on, Strange Days. She plays Lornette. I watched it in... Not for this episode. I watched it in film class in college. And I remember liking it. I just couldn't tell you, other than 
James now aforementioned uh, stat about her song at sporting events. I couldn't tell you anything really about it. But she did get a Saturn win for Best Actress in this movie, so did get some awards love for the role. Same year, she plays Detective Veter in 1995's Vampire in Brooklyn alongside Eddie Murphy, directed by Wes Craven, I believe, and a movie with some serious tone issues. I mean, when you're going through like the list of movies to watch for her and this pops up, I was like, eh, I'm all right. <laughs> This got pretty bad reviews too, didn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It is definitely one of the lowest rated movies. It did. It wasn't quite lowest critic score, but it's got a twenty-seven meta score. Just Angela Bassett's fine. She plays a detective and kind of a hard-ass detective, so she plays it pretty straight. It tries to be funny and a horror movie at the same time. It doesn't balance that combo well. So it's campy in that Eddie Murphy is playing this like sadistic. Lo, you know, kind of like hopeless romantic of a of a vampire, but like you either have to embrace the full camp or embrace the full horde, and never quite does either. And John Witherspoon's in this, which is fun. You know, you like him; he does exactly what you would expect him to do. Just kind of a a goofball in this one. I thought she was fine in it. She's not an issue or a problem in this. I'm, I'm sure it's not one she looks back and says, "Ooh, I'm glad I did Vampire in Brooklyn." That's probably not the. Uh, but she got to work with Eddie Murphy. Hey, and Wes Craven. Sure. You know, that's a big deal. Yeah. What a busy year, though. 95. She is in one of her more jiffable and iconic roles as Bernadine in Waiting to Exhale, where she, everybody knows the iconic scene in Waiting to Exhale, where she lights that car on fire, right? So I had never seen this movie before, but I have seen that gif, very famous, where she burns the car. What I will say is, I think this movie gets praised because it is probably the first time that a black woman's perspective is shared in this manner, in which it is about failed relationships, both as the wife who's being cheated on, as well as the other woman in uh, someone else's relationship. Because I don't think the movie is actually that good. It is, it, this is a great movie if like you have an ex that you hate, and you just want to watch a movie where it's like revenge porn. Cause it's cathartic, it, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, oh, you ever just want to like burn all your ex's clothes? But like, not really. But if, if I ever did feel it, I would love this movie. But when I was watching, it was mostly just like, here's why men suck. Don't you agree? And that part was tough for me to watch. But I do respect that it is sharing, at that point, a perspective that hadn't been shared in pop culture. Why did you watch it for this, James, and not for uh, the Dennis Haysbert episode with the fuck? You know, there's only so much Haysbert, you know, you can consume at once. <laughs> I thought her performance was great in this movie. When she, like, she snaps. Yeah, she does. And when she, when she goes out to light that car on fire, it looked like she had been up for three days straight had been crying for two and a half of them. Yeah. yeah. Very alarming. I wondered when I was watching that scene, if that scene was based off of when Lisa Left Eye Lopez set Andre Risen's house on fire when she found out he had cheated on her. Because it happened just like a few years prior. And Left Eye's from TLC. Andre Risen's, uh, I think he's in the Hall of Fame from the Buffalo Bills. And she did burn his house down. So... I wondered if that's what it's from, but I can't be sure. But when you're watching it, you're like, oh, I think she's going to take this too far. Oh, yep, she set the car on fire. Yeah, she did that in 94. This movie came out in 95, so it's, it would have been a very fresh inspiration. 
Fascinating connection, James. Look at you. That's why I'm here. 97, her number three IMDb credit is Contact. She played Rachel. I think a smaller role in that movie, but I haven't seen Contact in a long time. But 97 is a big year for her. She marries Courtney Vance, who she had met, what, how many years? I mean, a number of years ago at Yale. They finally got married in 1997. And then coming off the marriage in 98, right? Well, actually, probably about the same time, she filmed her role as Stella and how Stella got her group back. Which I learned was a, a true story. I didn't realize. So what I will say is How Stellar Got a Groove Back and Waiting to Exhale were two movies that I thought were like quintessential Angela Bassett movies that I had to see. And my feelings for Waiting to Exhale, I am on the exact opposite end of the spectrum for How Stellar Got a Groove Back. Very good movie. I thought it was classic kind of rom-com setup and I thought she did great in it and made me laugh. Whoopi Goldberg has a bunch of good one-liners. Tay Diggs is good as like the young eye candy who's a little bit more mature than he needs to be. It was enjoyable. It was fun. Yeah, I like this movie too. And I didn't know it was based off, based off a book which the author wrote based off her own life. So that's super interesting. But another like iconic lead role for her. I mean, this is one that how Stella got her group back. This is like a pop culture phenomenon has been for decades. I mean, like everybody, even if you haven't seen it, people know about this movie. I think it launched, in addition to being another great movie under her belt, I think it launched Tay Diggs as like a, a major Hollywood player, too. Yep. This was Tay Diggs' first movie. Oh, oh wow. there you go. Oh, shit. So if you ever come Tay, this will, this will be his first feature film. Sweet. Can't wait. <laughs> Give it some more love at that moment in time. All right, last movie before we get into our next review is She Worked Alongside Meryl. Merle Streep in 1999's Music of the Heart as Janet. But let's get into lowest critic score. The Willennium hits. She plays a role in Supernova. What a way to start the millennium, right, James? <laughs> when you're reviewing this movie, it's important to know that this movie had been just chopped and dismantled time and time over for the better part of a decade. And then when it went into production, it got chopped and rewritten many times over by multiple screenwriters and multiple directors. And so you take all that into consideration. When you watch the movie, you go, yeah, I see it, because it's not good. It, it, it's, it's 10% critic score. Um, the plot is something that you've heard many times before. It's a sci-fi thriller. And so it chronicles like a search and rescue patrol deep in space. Sounds familiar from a bunch of different sci-fi movies got a six-member crew and it's like search and rescue it stars angela bassett a young and sexy looking james spader i was shocked by what james spader looked as a younger man does not look like robert california and then pod favorite and munson's fan himself lou diamond phillips so it's easy to like imagine that buried somewhere deep within this movie is a pretty compelling sci-fi story but that's because that story steals most of its plot from episodes of star trek Alien, Event Horizon, like better, more classic sci-fi stories. But the reality of this, it's way less engaging and significantly duller. I think James Spader and Angela Bassett are fine in the lead roles, but like it's nowhere near impressive enough to save this movie from its just like constant mediocrity. 
So when filming began, the director was forced to keep rewriting the script while the studio executives were on set because they just didn't like the production. He also heavily rewrote the original script because he wanted to distance the film from Alien, which it clearly steals a lot from, because he produced Alien. Lou Diamond Phillips also said that uh, Francis Ford Coppola was called in to re-edit the film, and then he sent everyone a letter saying, all your work in this film is quite good. It has its problems, though. I'm going to recut it. Hopefully the spirit of whatever Walter Hill wanted is still there. However, Walter Hill eventually just took his name off the film because he hated it. (laughs) Originally, the main villain is supposed to mutate into like a demonic monster in the final part of the film. And a lot of money, time and effort was spent on the special effects for that. And I'll be honest, the special effects in this movie are actually pretty good. But... MGM decided they didn't like it because you couldn't see the actor. And so all of that money and footage was just cut completely. It's, it's a completely different ending. And in fact, this movie had four different endings that were filmed before they chose this one. And so it's just like you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, I kind of get this premise because I've seen this movie before. And then it keeps going. You're like, all right, I'm like so bored. I just want to check my phone and do something else. But I will say Spader fully commits to like a James Kirk but if James Kirk talked like James Spader, where it's just like, you know, the, the, the kind of sinister drawl the whole time. And Angela Bassett plays the medic on, on the flight, and she is like fully embracing like the stern, I don't take shit from anyone, like hyper-intelligent crew member. But other than that, it's just like a shitty movie. Wouldn't suggest it. This is like Angela Bassett's The Cave, like Lena Headey. Right. Of just like not a very good movie where she survives. And like I bet it's not as bad as William Hurt's Lost in Space. That one was pretty fucking bad. I forgot I reviewed that one. Probably not. I will say two shout outs to actors. One, Robert Forster, who she works with again later in Olympus Has Fallen. So it's somebody I've noticed a few times she's worked with. And then remember early on in the early months and days we talked about the Tunny Honeys? Remember oh, Robin yeah. Tunny that was on the list at one point? Oh yeah. Tony Honeys. The Tony Honeys came out of nowhere on Twitter or like going for her. You, She's in this. You see her topless in this movie. You know, she goes, you know, it's a, if you're a Tony Honey, the Tony Honeys know no Robin, I'm sure, from this. Dude, I was going to, I didn't say this, but now that you brought, it, brought in uh, Robert Tunney, Robin Tunney, she has a sex scene in this. Yes, she does. MGM Studios at one point thought it'd be good to include a sex scene between Angela Bassett and James Spader. But because all filming had already been shot, they just took the additional footage from Robin Tunney's sex scene and tried to like change the color of her skin and just make it seem like James Spader was the guy. And eventually it was just so bad. They're like, yeah, you know, let's just cut that because it looks horrifically awful. (laughs) (laughs) An awful idea. Yep. All I'm seeing, like the wiki, it's like that poster. It, like they have the big quote, like all hell's about to break loose. It feels again, very reminiscent of that, like alien, you know, like no one can hear you scream in space or like, in space. Right. But the, instead of like sinister and tiny, it's just like make the font bigger and more garish. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's corny, bro. It's, it's not a fun movie to watch. It just takes some balls to get the producer of the entire Aliens franchise on here as a director. And it is like an almost direct rip of the original Aliens. And he's like, well, I don't want it to be like that. And they're like, well, then, then you're fired. Be like, 
cool. Like, thanks for bringing me on, guys. <laughs> Look, there might be a good movie hidden somewhere in the archives. Have we checked Congress? Do they have this? Do they have this stashed away somewhere? This is not one of her films in the Library of Congress. I need to see Lou Diamond Phillips's body, but with James Spader's head, as has been hinted. <laughs> Supernova. James, look at yeah. that. You crossed off your sci-fi bucket list. I mean, I do love sci-fi, so I was pleasantly disappointed. There you go. Well, not a great way to start the Willennium and continues to not make great decisions. She turned down Halle Berry's role in Monsters Ball in 2000 as well. Do we think wow. she would have won the Oscar like Halle would have? Or Halle, Halle did? That's gotta hurt. I... I don't know. I think I think an argument can be made that she deserved the Oscar for her role as Tina Turner because she lost to Felon Munson Holly Hunter that year. And I think that was probably way closer than Piano. Yes. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, piano's good and Holly's damn good in that movie. So Right, right. But with this, like she said she didn't take this role because of the the nudity that's involved in it, and she's been really outspoken about it and she's a pretty classic lady yeah she's like i only want to take roles that you know i i won't be what is it? she's like uh she called it a celluloid which i don't know what that word means but i interpret it as like your film career is a time capsule and she doesn't want to portray anything that is like portraying black women in a negative light i was oh, yeah. like is that a slight at halle berry i was like i don't know like inadvertently yeah like she says she's not you know, judging people for the roles they take, but I was like, kind of is a little, I don't know. A little. I thought I read somewhere that Halle Berry was also up to play Tina Turner. Wow. And what's love got to do? 2001, she's in the score as Diane. So 2001 is the first year where she does some producing and she's produced at like nine or 10 projects over her career. But her first one was Ruby's Bucket of Blood. She played Ruby where she got a SAG nom for her role in that movie as well. So it's available on Tubi at the time of recording. So check it out if you feel so inclined. And then the next year goes to the executive producer side in the Rosa Parks story as Rosa Parks, a role that got her an Emmy nomination. So rolling in some pretty significant award nominations in the early 2000s for movies that she has financially backed. Yeah, this is when TV movies were like actually good too. And because this was on CBS, I think. Now, like, TV movies are trash, but they, they put a lot of money. These networks used to put a lot of money into these, which is how probably how they got a good actress like Angela Bassett to do this, I would imagine. Another huge female character, man. Yeah, I, I like how she's backing things that she believes in principally. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stories she's telling and a lot of the people she's portraying are stories and people that need to be told about. Mm -hmm. And so I like that she's... As a producer and as an executive producer, she's getting behind and make sure that good projects are being rolled out to highlight these people. Well, 03, she makes an appearance on the Bernie Mac show as herself, which is important to note because we will see her crossover with Bernie Mac here in a moment in Mr. 3000. She plays Mo, a role that she talked about in interviews as easier than some of the other stuff she'd done because she's used to playing like strong female characters and this was more of just like a fun easygoing role i really like her in mr 3000 i think this is one of her more underrated roles for me because i think she commands the screen pretty well in this film which is impressive because bernie mac is huge and mm -hmm. he 
controls the screen every time he's on it. But the one thing I will say about Bernie Mac is almost everything I've ever seen him in, he's always had good chemistry with people. And to have that with with uh, Angela Bassett's really no surprise, but it's fun to watch the two of them. Yeah, I enjoy this movie, which I, I feel like it's one of those movies where like you, even if you're not a baseball fan, you can enjoy it just because they do a good job of setting up that story. Mm-hmm. This movie made me remember how much I love Bernie Mac. I think he's hysterical. It's the like he's always on the verge of being just pissed off enough to like beat you up. And those jokes crack me up. And I think him playing like a crotchety old conceited baseball player is like a perfect use of that brand of humor. It got terrible reviews though, man. Like apparently we're in the minority here. Most people did not enjoy this. Yeah. Cause they probably thought it was going to be like all about the, I don't know, the baseball stuff. And you don't really have to, as long if you, like you said, Kyle, if you if you go into it thinking of it as a romantic comedy and not a sports movie, then I think you're not destined to be let down. Did you guys notice who played the uh, Milwaukee Brewers sausage mascot? Dane Cook. I had that it's in the show notes. He just, he just chirps him the whole time. It's so funny. I was like, why is that voice so familiar? And I looked it up. I was like, yes. and, you, and you never see him. He never takes off the sausage nope. costume. Nope. I would have been way off my guess. My guess was going to be Tim Laudner. Who's Tim Laudner? Timmy 200. Oh my god. I was just about to make a joke if it was that guy who has my same batting average. <laughs> Back to the TV side in 05, she has a recurring role as Hayden in the show Alias, which was a big show in the mid 2000s. The movie that Case mentioned earlier, Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith played Mr. Smith's boss. Smaller role in that one, but big time box office impact alongside Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. This isn't related to Angela Bassett at all. But as I was watching this, I couldn't stop thinking about Rigby's comment about Geely, where Ben Affleck and J-Lo had zero chemistry. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie have amazing chemistry. I think they started dating shortly after this movie came out. Like, Because I think everyone, when they were watching, was like, wow, they have great chemistry. And then like... Fast forward a year later, they're married and have adopted like three kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's called talent, Craig. You're not going to find that much with J-Lo, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> they met on the set of this movie. That's I, I did a quick Google search, so you nailed it. There you go. And also, uh, Angela here is playing a role that she will reprise in many movies where she's like the... Authority. Yeah, the authority boss figure, because yep. she pretty much plays the same exact role in the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. Yep, Olympus has fallen. Yeah, what's interesting to your point, Craig, the chemistry, right? Like those two on screen, like they're in their like flirtatious peacocking phase, right? So that's why it's, yeah, that's it's so true. genuine, because they're like the first dating moments where they're super excited about each other. So you could see that going down versus the Benefer. Benefer. 06 works with Larry Fishburne again in Aquila and the Bee, also alongside a young Kiki Palmer in that movie. Played a character named Tanya. Did her first animated work in Meet the Robinsons in 2007, um, which she does a couple more animated projects, but that's not a huge part of what she's done over her career. Mm -hmm. And that takes us to largest audience gap. So we did the the highest, lowest critics. We did first major. And so towards the the latter half of the career is where we're going to get into the critic gap and audience gap movies. So for audience gap, Rigby has 2008's Meet the Browns. Yeah, Meet the Browns is a 2008 comedy drama film from Tyler Perry. Angela Bassett plays Brenda, who is a down-in-her-luck mother living in Chicago. She has just lost her job. Her electricity has turned off and she can't afford to buy basic necessities for her children. 
One day she receives a letter informing her that her father, that she'd never met, has passed away down in Georgia. Included with the letter are bus tickets. Uh, with not much else going on in her life, Brenda decides to take herself and her children to her father's funeral down in Georgia. But once she arrives, she meets a cast of wild characters from her father's family. The Brown family is loud and crass, but also downright hilarious. The different variations of the eccentric characters works very well, especially compared to the pretty straight dramatic character that Bassett plays. Even though it is a Tyler Perry universe film, Tyler Perry as Medea really only has a short little cameo in there, uh, which I actually thought was, was one of the more parts of the movie that I didn't enjoy because I feel like her cameo was very forced. I don't know if you've seen any Tyler Perry movies since then, since this, but a lot of them are based off Medea, and in th- this, it's just a cameo, and I just like kind of found it to be a little unnecessary. If I'm being honest, out of nowhere, that's like Medea's in the middle of a car chase, like O.J. Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the end of the movie, I feel like the movie had a good flow until that part. So that part yeah. always that part kind of bothered me a little bit. Like all Tyler Perry movies, I would say this is very kind of corny, kind of cliche, just like hits at, you know, certain things about family and basically a Vin Diesel movie uh, all rolled into one for James. But part of it is I I do think this movie is very charming. And there are some parts that I laughed out loud at some uh, scenes in the movie. The what, name is hilarious. I yeah, what is his name? The guy who David, called David Mann, Mr. Yeah, Brown. he is absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> not, when, he, not, when he comes up to play basketball with him, and di- I died. He calls LeBron James Lebanon James. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he called a, gyne- a gynecologist a gonorrhea ecologist. Those those two lines got me, man. I was I was uh, my sides were splitting after that. It's interesting. This sh- this movie actually led to a a sitcom on TBS called Meet the Browns, like a spinoff, which was oh. m- more of a more of a sitcom style, not so much like a drama family based movie like this. So they took the outrageous characters in this movie and put them into a sitcom, which I think was a pretty good idea and just expanded Tyler Perry's universe from there. I would say Angela Bassett is good in this. She's supposed to play the sort of sincere, strong and serious woman in the middle of all of these like ridiculously eccentric family members and characters. She's definitely the most grounded out of all of them. She absolutely is. Grounded's a good word. And she also, you know, for Rick Fox is in this. He plays her love interest, and I didn't think his acting was that bad. No, he's fine. He plays the guy who's basically trying to woo her the whole movie, and eventually he succeeds in that, but it takes him by trials and tribulations. Spoiler! This is uh, 14 years old, so sorry I'm spoiling it. But, yeah, it's, again, it's, there's a whole thing about, you know, uh, family and staying away from drugs in this and what those sort of choices and consequences can do to a family. So it's very, you know, Tyler Perry is obviously a very religious and spiritual guy. And you can tell that that message resonates in this movie. But Angela Bassett was, was greatly cast in this. I've certainly seen better movies for this podcast, but I've also seen much worse. So this is kind of right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you fall in the 90 to 33 audience gap? Because it's a biggie. That's a biggie. Probably like fifty or sixty. So right in the middle. Yeah, I'd be I'd be in the middle. Probably lean towards more sixty than fifty. I enjoyed I enjoyed the message behind it, and I also there were some parts that were absolutely hilarious. I think I texted Kyle. I'm like, this movie is corny as hell, but there are parts of this where I'm like actually dying laughing at. So mm-hmm. 
all that, it was pretty enjoyable. Especially at this time, a lot of critics just had Tyler Perry <laughs> fatigue because it was yeah. he was pumping out movies like three a year, it felt like. And they were just like, no, you know, cause you're, you're right. He does go for wholesome and it can come across cheesy and it does often come across cheesy. And so even a movie that's just like, okay, or, you know, average, they're, they're going to use it as an excuse to be like, stop, Tyler, we don't want any more. And that seems to be the case here because the fans love this movie. Here's a quote from Tim Brayton, a critic who reviewed the movie. Of the many talented black actresses given a rare chance to shine, thanks to Perry's films, Angela Bassett is possibly the most talented. That's what I thought was interesting. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Has she played a comedic role in any of her movies besides Critters 4? <laughs> not really, no. The comedy is not really in her bag. She's not really funny in this either. No. It's more just, the, yeah. it's more just like the crazy people around her. I appreciate you bringing that up, Case. That will affect my score on the back end because I don't. Yeah. Even watching her interviews, like she's she's very authentic, but like funny, humorous is not really what I would use to describe Angela Bassett. She's more of like an inspirational character and figure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Mister Three Hundred, it's it's a rom com, and in her part, it, like the jokes that they have are more kind of like relationship quips, right? It's not yeah. necessarily. Yeah. They're not punchlines. No, exactly. Like you go, even going back to last week, Lena Headey watching her interviews, her self-deprecation is so funny because she just like craps on herself all the time. Yeah. And Angela's just an icon, man. Like the what when she talks, people listen and mm-hmm. she doesn't have to be funny. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a great point, Case. Well, speaking of her icon status, in 2008, she got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, just like David Spade and others that we've talked about entered that stratosphere. The David Spade stratosphere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she's there, you know? And then, oh wait, she, she's in Nothing But The Truth as Bonnie alongside her husband, Corny Vance, in that movie. And then starts her run on ER, 21 episodes. I'm going to say, yeah, a run. It's over two years, 21 episodes of ER is Kate. Big show. Huge. I mean, massive show, right? I mean, that. I'm sure that goes into her making a lot of money on 911 much later. Uh-huh. Shows like ER along the way kind of gear her towards that um and then same year she is in notorious the the biopic about biggie smalls plays his mom and she's got a little bit of an accent in that uh, again i think another great role from her and she does exceptionally well in this i think she did a great job portraying his mom I, the only reason biggie's mom is even anywhere in my brain is because after he passed away she was at an award show when p diddy was accepting they're like a Grammy for I'll be missing you. And to see someone up on stage like that, she said, big up to Brooklyn. I was like, that's awesome. And so when I saw this movie, I was like, wow, she actually kind of sounds like her. She's got the accent and I'm a huge Biggie fan. So I, I was going to love this movie no matter what. So I'm definitely biased. I just, this is the last movie I watched before we recorded and she's got so much fire in this role. Like she, the, her character, obviously her mom didn't want her son to go into drugs and like really didn't want her to go into rap. And man, like the anxiety that that creates in a mom, especially in a, in, you know, where he's from and the t- type of trap life that he gets stuck into. Mm-hmm. I think she, she portrayed that well, very well. I mean, and ultimately his mother was correct. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was super successful, but like that gang affiliation followed him the whole way. So speaking of prominent female characters in 2010, she makes an appearance on The Simpsons as Michelle Obama. So just add it to the list, Case. Unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Again, it's like Michelle Obama's 
available, right? She's here, right? <laughs> she can so, do it. Yeah, she can. It's, it's, it's kind of like keeping, I mean, you know. And their administration was known for being incredibly accessible for like pop culture stuff. Like freaking Brock was on ESPN all the time. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they were known for doing stuff like this. So didn't Obama go on Between Two Ferns too? He did. Yeah, dude. A movie that also isn't funny. Green Lantern. She plays Amanda Waller, which obviously is a role that was filled many years later by Viola Davis. And I think we can all agree uh, much better. I don't know if this, I don't think the movie's bad Whoa. because of Angela Bassett. It's not bad because of Angela Bassett. I will say that. Say. Ryan Reynolds does speak that this is one of the worst things he's ever done in his career. And for good reason, because it's not good. Guys, I can't tell you how much I wanted Green Lantern to be incredible. Like, I <laughs> I, I literally have a Green Lantern tattoo. And so, you know, that's like that's like that's like seven people that have a Green Lantern tattoo. So, like, when this came out, I was... Do you guys have meetings? Yeah. yeah. There's, a group, there's a group chat. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, Angela Passett's on them because she's mad. She says, you want to get another <laughs> shot with all these Suicide Squad peacemakers. <laughs> God, I wanted that movie to be so good, and it was so awful. Why was this movie as bad as it was? Well, it's because he ended up finding a giant poop monster, and that's just not fun to watch. <laughs> Accurate. Sounds compelling. <laughs> I watched it for the first time, and I'm not. I'm glad I chalked it off my list for like cultural awareness purposes, but I did not enjoy it. It was not a fun process for me. Good thing Angela Bassett, Mark Strong, and Ryan Reynolds all got other cracks at better movies. Yes, this is true. Uh, but we'll keep her moving. So 2011, she steps back onto the stage with Samuel L. Jackson in the mountaintop on London's West End, wow. which was given a Laurence Olivier Award for Best New Play. So comes out of her stage retirement and gets a little award for it. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. That's big time. London West End? Samuel. Yeah. That's wild that there's two American actors in a highly successful West End play. How about Olympus Has Fallen? She plays the Secret Service Director in 2013. A Gerard Butler vehicle. Marketing for any Gerard Butler movie up until like three or four years ago would have been super simple. Because all you had to do was say, Olympus Has Fallen, starring the guy from 300. And be like, oh yeah, I know who that is. I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> These movies are like sneaky, good, bad movies. Yes. I enjoy Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, I like it a lot better than White House Down, which came mm -hmm. out shortly after this. I had fun with this movie. I never saw what was the one in London, the the sequel. It was London, London is Fallen. London, London is Fallen. Yeah. yeah, I never saw that one, but I liked yeah. Olympus is Fallen. But she does reprise her role in in 2016. She plays an important role in the movie, and that authority figure that James talked about earlier. Yeah. Right, very different role and a cool one in my eyes. American Horror Story from. Five years, 2013 to 2018, she played Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, and also directed a couple episodes of that show. So, but 48 episodes during that five-year run, including two Emmy noms. And she's, she's awesome as Marie Laveau, man. I'm pissed I wasn't able to, to watch this, because when you were describing it, I was like, that sounds ex extremely like the shit I love. It's great. I have never seen an episode of any of these American Horror Stories. I hadn't until this uh, this episode. I finally watched this, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm been missing out because this shit's good." Did you, Kyle? Did you watch any other seasons or just Coven? 
No, I know that I know there are different opinions on the seasons because I used to date somebody that watched all of them and and that, a lot of opinions. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions on which ones are good and which <laughs> ones aren't. So I can't speak to that. All I know in this one, her and Jessica Lange go toe to toe in the first season that I watched, and I mean they're both acting giants, so it's fun to watch. And Kathy Bates, those three in a, in a room together, it's just good fun. I I'm a big fan of American Horror Story. I've dropped off in more recent seasons, so like. Hopefully I don't get destroyed for that. But I thought the I thought first season Murder House was like that was like scary for me. And I'm not a big horror person. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I love that show. And then Asylum, I thought was brilliant. Absolutely love that. And Coven was like so out of left field. And I think really, I think set the pace for uh, like what the show was going for with like, I think kind of like a hard reset almost every season. And I feel like I know they started tapping into previous storylines and all that. This one didn't do that. Whenever I describe Coven to folks, I'm like, it honestly, like it feels like a really good X-Men story. Like we're literally talking like these are witches that get brought into a school on how to be witches. And and it's great. Like it's, it's yeah, it's spooky and it's got, but yep. it's just got great atmosphere. And, and it's mostly female. It's mostly female yeah. leads too. Emma totally. Roberts, Sarah Paulson. I mean, it's great actresses. Yeah. So, and I thought, Coven, I thought Coven was great. And again, it had come on the heels of several wildly successful seasons already and still felt super fresh. And I think she was a big part of that. And I saw an interview where they asked her which other Ryan Murphy, like world would you like to be in i think he did glee he did he did like four other ones she picked uh scream queens who ryan murphy did as well which i thought is a good callback to our jamie lee curtis episode as well because i really like scream queens also emma roberts right in her bag of playing that stuck up like college girl type because she nails it in this too that also dies an unfortunate death very early into the season 2013, she plays Coretta and Betty Coretta, another role that got her some awards love, this time a SAG nom. The SAGs were, as as of recording, about a week ago, but you know, shout out to Jessica Chastain for her SAG win, a former Munson, you know, doing some good work for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Kyle, is this Coretta as in Coretta Scott King? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Does it blow anybody else's mind that she's played the wife of both Malcolm X and Martin Luther King? Yep. It's crazy. I didn't connect the dots. That's crazy. Now. And, and Rosa and, Parks. And Rosa Parks. Yeah. Michelle Obama. And then 2013, we got a bunch of Greeks on here. She was honorary initiated into the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And still very proud Greek to this day, which is very cool. So big fan of that, that you get a Munson meter point or two extra she didn't have sororities at yale a lot of she talked about at secret society so it wasn't really an option it wasn't like she was avoiding it just yeah they're one of those schools that have like supper clubs or some shit right Mm -hmm. well and if you know deltas like her personality fits deltas well like strong personality right this isn't stereotyping it's like NPHC organizations, uh, there's a personality to most of those organizations and she 100 fits the personality the deltas yes sir and then back to the uh, animated side in Curious George 3, back to the jungle is Dr. Kulinda. Not a real life character. She's doing stuff for the kids. You know, it's for the kids. It's for the kids. But so you know what's not for the kids? Mark Yerke's review of Largest Critic App in 2015, Chirac. Why could this not be for the kids? I, I think everybody should see this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, Chirac, I'd never seen this movie before. But I'd heard about it and didn't realize. So it was the first 
film produced by Amazon Studios back in uh, 2015. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, I, nothing to back this up. I kind of feel like it's very political. Like I joked about earlier, I don't know if this, y'all try to like stay out of pot or politics. It's hard. It's hard to with this movie. And I, th- I think that that is the reason why we see the largest, uh, the largest uh, critic gap here. 100% agree. 82, 49, just so everybody knows that the gap 82 critics, 49 audience, a big gap. Yeah. I, so I think there's two things. I think there's two primary reasons there. If you like guns, I think this is a hard movie to square with. This movie is very staunchly anti-gun, just directly so. There's not much more to say there. Uh, the other thing, too, is, I, I mean, this movie, in my opinion, is is like modern Shakespeare. Um, it's based on a Greek play written in 411 B.C., Lysistrata. I've actually, I actually saw Lysistrata performed live in college, uh, which was a great then frame up to see this you know the thing that really last stood out for me from when i saw the play was i was sitting front row and one of the greek tunicked men like went up put his like put one leg up on my armrest and he had his like fake erection just like just rock hard through his through his toga like six inches from my face (laughs) sure it was fake or are you just telling yourself that i didn't touch it i didn't i mean i cannot Cannot confirm or deny. Are we unearthing trauma in this episode? No, it was great. Okay, all right, uh, good. <laughs> There's nothing traumatic about it. He says. Yeah, <laughs> For me, it's it's this is like the classic example of like when you're in you know English class or literature class in high school and you're reading Shakespeare and like half the class, probably less than half. I said like a quarter of the class are into it. They think it's cool. They think it's fun. They think it's witty. It's raunchy. It's topical. I think that this movie is all of those things. And the other half, I think, has no godly idea what's going on or can't get bought into the flavor of what's being what's being thrown down. So I think this movie is dripping with style. It's an absolutely stacked cast. Um, you got Samuel Jackson, Dave Chappelle, Wesley Snipes, Teona Paris as Lissa Strada. You got Nick Cannon in there. And I actually think that he's he's quite good in his role. And Jennifer Hudson and then Angela Bassett plays Miss Helen. And she really provides, I think, like this. It's like every pinnacle moment of this movie is like she is the backbone of that moment. She is literally the spark to this revolution where the women of of Chicago are deciding to have a sex strike against the men who are waging gang war against each other, saying, hey, as long as you no peace, no pussy. That is the tagline of their whole movement. Angela Bassett's character is the the catalyst for that whole revolution. She provides, I think, just like wonderful presence and moments to kind of like the breaking points of each each time like the the movement is, is about to fail. At the very end, I think she she really she like breaks Nick Cannon's character as like the kind of the, the last remaining holdout like on Earth. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that you know, that's just that's like her role. And as we t- you know, you all have talked about all these other movies. I think that's the role I see her in all these other movies is, again, it's like this this presence. She brings it like you can literally believe her in any character, real or not, I think, because of that presence. So I dug the hell out of this movie. I thought it was super fun. I thought it was super stylized. I love the satire. I think some people might call it absurdist, but I also like sorry for saying it, but like, I think that again, the gun reality in America is also at times absurdist. And so I think the fact that Spike Lee's willing to go there and play this 
literal, this play, uh, this from 411 BC, and, and draw, I think, such striking parallels to what the experience of Chicago, and in particular, I think the black experience in Chicago when it comes to gun violence is brilliant. So I really loved it. It was a great review. I rewatched it. I had seen it years ago. I liked it. I, you know, it, it was viewing it with a, a little different lens now, but I just think it's cr- it's creative. It's Spike Lee. It's doing something different. I understand why there's a gap. I mean, just looking at its awards footprint, the only awards bodies that really recognize it for anything were Black Real Awards, African American mm-hmm. Film Critics Association, NAACP Image Awards, right? Like African American critics, viewers understood it, pick, you know, figured out like why it's valuable and a, probably a lot of white people out there probably didn't like the message nor its presentation nor understood that it was based on a Greek, but they just thought it was probably like a, f- a fictional tale of some kind. So I understand what the hell don't understand. Yeah. I don't even understand how that can be mistaken. Like this whole thing rhymes. And I think the writing is great. Like some of the lines, especially from Samuel Jackson as Dolomites, like just had me dying. I thought he was really fantastic. Just another standout scene, I think, real quick from Bassett. There's a moment where, like, a life insurance policy seller, like, rolls up on her when she's guard or in her garden. And there's, like, a little bit of, like, I'd say, like, flirtation, and, like, romant- romantic tension between the two. And the moment that he, like, reveals that he is a selling life insurance policies and it becomes apparent that he's, like, targeting young black men, like, she just unleashes on him loses it, and it's like and it's like that's what was like what i wanted from tina on ike like just and i i just think i have like an issue with again like i think like predatory you know employers in general but i thought like that was just i think a nice added moment with again like how far these problems have become entrenched in our society so yeah loved really really liked it here's a here's a thread i've noticed as as we were going through this you know, Green Lantern, I think, in 2011 was a wake-up call for her. Because if you look at the 90s and 2000s for her career, pretty heavy film, a little bit of TV, right? As soon as 2011 hits, it's Green Lantern, and then Olympus has fallen in 2013. I think you start to see the scales tip a little bit. A little bit away from film in terms of bulk and quantity mm-hmm. to TV. Now, again, we've talked about... TV, it's a much more reliable schedule day to day to be able to live your life. She became a mom at one point, right? So like family and stuff, that becomes a little bit easier to balance. But she's done so much by 2011 and Green Lantern was such a doozy box office wise and just critical reception. I think we saw here she started to make that strategic move to do more good television and to be a lot more picky about movies to this point, right? So, I mean, we've got we talked about Olympus has fallen. We got Chirac, and then you've got London has fallen in 2016. But I'm I'm not going to another n- mention another movie until 2018. London has fallen. Is that the movie with the guy from 300? I think I so. Think so. <laughs> is Gerard uh, Butler in all the has fallen movies? I'm going to assume the answer is yes. I think that's Case knows, and that's his joke. But <laughs> he is. He is in it. Yes, he is in it. But 2015, she does a character in Rainbow Six Siege video game. And it looks, I mean, it's almost lifelike if you Google it. It's wild, the video game. Or if you play it, as one does with video games. Well, you know, if people aren't going back and they don't want to play the game, they can just Google. Good, it's a good game. It's a good game. Is it? I've never played it. Yeah, great. It's very competitive. High, high skill ceiling. 
Okay. It sounds like you yeah. might have some skill, sir. You're doing some work. No, there. I'm I'm bad. I'm, I'm used <laughs> to getting my ass kicked in this. So that's how you know. First hand, very skilled. Not me. Yep. Get my ass kicked all the time. Do experience. 2015, she steps into the director chair. Yeah, Whitney, it's a, a TV movie oh. about the chronicle of Whitney Houston's life. This is her only movie directing. Yeah, because she's done TV show directing, but not. Yeah. Whitney Houston's daughter was furious that she was not cast to play her mom. Oh, really? Yeah, and Angela Bassett was pretty funny because when she got asked about it, because Whitney Houston's daughter was going off on online, just you know, pretty pissed, obviously. You know, you want to portray your mom. Angela Bassett's like, the thought never even crossed my mind. She was like, at no point did I even comprehend, like, comprehend that that was an option. She's like, I had an actress I loved. Never crossed my mind to actually ask someone's child to play them. Yeah, Whitney Houston in this movie was portrayed by Yaya DaCosta. Did this come out before or after Straight Outta Compton? Because that's when O'Shea played his dad. And so that's probably the inspiration. We're just like, O'Shea played, her, played his dad. I should play my mom. Straight Outta Compton was 2014. So this would have been after. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it came. That's a very interesting uh, connection, Kyle. So a couple shows after that. Um, BoJack Horseman, a, mo- a show we've talked about a few times, Rami Malek and some others, did 10 episodes of that between 2015 and 2018, and then did Master of None over a four-year span, two episodes, and got an Emmy nom for a guest role on that as well, which we've seen off and on. And then the big one there in 2018 is her role in Black Panther's Ramonda, essentially Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther's mother. Huge role in that universe. One of the few Marvel movies that I've seen. Oh, good for you, man. Watched it on an airplane. Really made a lot of hard uh, effort to... uh, Went out of your way on that one, Rigby. Yeah, how the the movie's meant to be seen on a (laughs) six-by-six screen. (laughs) (laughs) And Coogler wanted. And that's where he wanted you to watch it. I I liked Black Panther, though, and I liked her in this. She was great. Dude, I loved Black Panther. I thought it was awesome. Best Picture nominated Black Panther. Yeah. Rest in peace, Chadwick. She was an excellent cast for that. For that role. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like, playing off the strengths. Emotional. Absolutely. Strong female character. Yep. Yep. And we'll continue to see her in more, I'm sure. This will not, that won't be her only time. I, I Wakanda Forever is coming, so we'll see her soon. I think she's going to have a expanded role in this sequel. I don't disagree with you, especially with, with Shuri going off the rails politically. So, yeah. She has been pretty vocal about after Chadwick Boseman passing because she was actually really close with him um, to the point where I believe she received an honorary doctorate from Howard, maybe Yale from, from Yale. And he was the one who uh, gave like the commencement speech prior to like introduce her because of kind of the relationship that they formed. And so she was like, until I see a script, I'm not actually signing off on this because I don't know how you're going to continue this story without him. But then she said after she saw it that she's like pumped and they did it, obviously. But same year, she plays a little bit of a badass as well. And Mission Impossible Fallout is Sloan. She's a government bureaucrat. Who she's like is, a CIA director. Yeah. Like a handler? Yeah. She's like the, the head of the division who like handles all the spies and stuff. She's the puppet master behind the scenes with yeah. a lot of what's going on in that movie. This is one of the best action movies of the last decade. And I will say that confidently it is such a blast it's awesome 
All those. I mean, I I always say like these are the best movies that have a four, five, and a six at the end of their title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well said. Shitting on the Fast and the Furious franchise inadvertently. I love it. I love to hear it. They deserve it. They deserve it. This movie, you don't even need to watch the other Mission Impossibles to watch this and be like, wow, that rocked. Like mm-hmm. they set the stakes immediately and then it's off and it's just fun, sexy, awesome action emotional you know it's nothing is like they're not reaching for anything unearned everything is earned it's just great we will get two more mission impossibles here in the next couple years too all right the show that we mentioned earlier that she was getting paid buku dollars to be in 911 played athena and also executively produced from 2018 to 2022 has anybody seen this dude i didn't even know it was a show no i didn't get i didn't get to it i had it on the list but i didn't get around to it Five seasons, and she's the highest paid black actress in history, and I had never heard of it until this podcast. I mean, I've not even seen the 911 Lone Star yet, and it takes place in Texas. I haven't seen it. Is that a spinoff of this? I believe so. Yeah. And I think that's, Rob Lowe's Yeah, in it's it. with Rob Lowe. This is on Fox Now, it says. Yeah, I was going to say, I only know this show from the ads during the football games on Sunday. Season five is coming. Man, it's, it's won a bunch of awards, too. It's probably a show we should have watched, let's be honest, but she's got so much. The reason why these shows don't get absorbed by my brain is because they're on network television, and I couldn't even fathom how to turn on Fox on my TV yeah. at this point. This is all, it's also a Ryan Murphy <laughs> production. Yep. I'm pretty Another good. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is like, I can't remember the last time I watched a show that was on TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. I can't yeah. watch all the episodes in one sitting one weekend. I don't want to see it. That's that's not yeah. for us. That's not for <laughs> my generation. I'll watch an episode once a week, but don't schedule it for me. Don't make it at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> Eastern. I'll watch it whenever I want. Yeah, yeah. Don't put on commercials in between the bits that I care about. Some fucked up Black Mirror episode. Like, what kind of dystopia <laughs> are we living in? 2018, Bumblebee, I think is a good movie, too. And she plays the first female voice of a Transformer. And it's not even, it's not a small Transformer character. It's the main Decepticon in the movie. Like, it's, it's a huge role. Yeah, it's great. It's a fun movie. Michael Bay's to blame for why this movie didn't get more positive reception. Everyone was so done with Michael Bay that they were like, I don't, how many more of these not good Transformer movies can we see? And so when this came out and everyone said, wow, this movie's actually really good. I just like refused to accept that. <laughs> yeah, if they, they should have just said like, hey, did you like the Iron Giant? Well, we've got this movie and it's got John Cena in it. Sold. You saying that, I was like, wow, I'm pissed I didn't watch this movie. That sounds way better than any, any Transformer sales pitch. I think Haley Steinfeld is excellent in that role. I agree. I think I think everyone's great. I am I'm a hardcore Transformers nerd fan. Like that's the shit I grew up grew up on. This movie is great. I wish that I don't know if this has any future whatsoever, but everyone's great in this movie. And it's it's an absolutely worthwhile movie you don't have to know anything about. Nope. Nope. They set it up pretty quickly. Is Angela Bassett noticeable or is it just you see yeah. the name? Oh no. Well, she she's she is the primary antagonist of this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, and has the most speaking lines of yep. like any of the villains. Yep, that's awesome. It is dope. Yeah, she's huge in this. It's the first Transformer movie not uh, directed by Michael Bay, and it has the highest rating by far. Wow! Watch Bumblebee. Do yourself a favor. It's it's on pretty much every airplane like 
like an in-flight movie. I swear to God. It's a great movie, though. And Angela Bassett's awesome in it. She got her honorary doctorate from Yale in 2018 and reprised her role from the Black Panther universe in Avengers Endgame. Short little snippet right at the end of the movie with lots of Munson's by far the most popular movie we've covered with Munson actors. Like an Um, indie movie with limited release, right? (laughs) Yeah, it barely made the box office for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 2020, she played Dorothea, a basically a, a famous jazz singer in the movie Soul, Disney Pixar. My favorite movie from that year. I love that movie. I thought it was perfect. They they sell it as a kids movie, and it is not a kids movie. It is a it is a movie for quarter life crisis people like myself. Accurate. And then we go back to the gunpowder milkshake world. We talked about it last time with the Lena Headey episode. Mm-hmm. She's a badass in this movie, Angela. She's with that cadre uh, alongside Michelle Yeoh and Carla Gugino, and uh, she delivers some really good lines in this. You know, some of the later roles she played, she would have been great in some Tarantino movies. She was still at such a high level of her game that she didn't need a comeback. But it would have been fun to see her play a role like this in some other Tarantino movies. It's a great. Like Kill Bill. Yeah. But he also has a history of writing characters that drop the N-word, and I don't think that's really a, a world that she's trying to play into either so that's probably why she stayed away from his projects that's a great point that's a good point yeah he said he's got one movie left in his bag so maybe we'll see it one one last opportunity so fingers crossed for the tarantino star trek that we've always heard rumors about <laughs> it's true i think it'd be funny if it was like a kid's cartoon movie and everyone's like, no, we do not accept the essential last movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> a rom-com, a Tarantino rom-com. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Kids coming of age. The only violence is emotional violence. That's it. He's making a Geely sequel, I heard, right? <laughs> Can't get any worse. The only way that movie would be watchable. <laughs> They're back together. You might as well. Right. Yeah, you're right. The metaphor is a thing. Let's see if right. round two, Justin Bartha will turn off his phone. He will respond to no messages <laughs> at all. <laughs> Last couple things for her career. Most recently, she is the narrator of the Disney Enchantment at Magic Kingdom, and also a the narrator of Malika the Lion Queen, a documentary that you can find streaming in some different spots. So just doing some narration on topics she cares about. And I think the Disney stuff comes from her connection to Black Panther and Disney owning those properties. And then we didn't even mention, she's got three other Emmy noms, two for narrating, one for guest actress and stuff we didn't even mention on the episode too. Again, she hasn't won a lot of the awards over the years, but she's been nominated a ton for her roles. All right, top performances, Rigby. He's got something lined up for us, see what he's got. Yeah, so I have a list for as long of career as she had, the the list that I found only has five roles, but it's her five most iconic roles. Oh. It's ordered by release date, so it's not ordered in, you know, uh, numerical order. It's from BET from 2021, so I thought it would be a good list. It's the latest one I found. Movies and TV? I don't really know how to describe one of these. Okay. okay. One, of them, one of them's a television series. So oh, all right, well, that's an okay. easy one then. Not Green Lantern. <laughs> Meet the Browns. Nope. Oh, that's not the TV series. No, she wasn't in that. I feel like it's got to be. It's got to be American Horror Story in a TV series, right? Nope. Ugh. All right, low hanging fruit. How Stella got a groove back. Yes. Okay. What's love got to do with it? Obviously. Yes. Malcolm X. Yep. 
Picking just five for her is challenging. Yeah, it is. and it's very challenging. I wish this list had ten. All right, we got three, and we're sort of missing one movie and one like hybrid show. Is Waiting to Exhale on there? Yep, that's on that's here. That's the four movies. So what's the show? I mean, is it is it nine one one? Yeah, it's probably nine one one. Nope. So this is I should say this is not a series in the sense that you know this is like a mini series. Did we mention it? It's the Rosa Park story. Nope. We we mentioned it, but we didn't we didn't discuss it. Oh, interesting. I like this though. I like when there's something we didn't mention. Uh, early or later in her career? Early. Search for tomorrow. Nope. Ruby's bucket of blood. Nope. <laughs> Does it rhyme with Sminder Smart and Smop? <laughs> <laughs> musical musical family. Oh, the Jackson Five. Oh yeah. Oh, is it the Jackson Five? Okay. Yes. She played Michael Jackson's mother, Catherine Jackson, in the 1992 television series The Jacksons and American yep. Dream. Wow. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool for her since she loved The Jackson 5 as a kid. So I love that. The article says that the television series won two Emmys out of five nominations and continued Bassett's hot streak as a rising star in Hollywood. Wow. I love it. What's interesting about that list to me, Rigby, is so I said it would be hard to pick five, and it wasn't for movies. Because the we quickly named what's love got to do with them, Malcolm X, waiting to exhale, and Stella. and Stella got a group back because I think those are the four. But what's so interesting is you go to her IMDb and her top four are Black Panther, Strange Days, Contact, and Olympus Has Fallen. So and there's literally no match across the yeah. board in terms of what she's known for. That's more about the algorithm with IMDb, but two different realities. I think most of those roles that I named were early in her career, and that's really set up. And she had, I mean. Those are what she was nominated for Best Actress for. I would I would argue that Malcolm X is the best movie that she's been cast in. So like I'm glad that's in there. Well, let's get into the Munson meter. Uh, what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to hundred based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life comedic chops, box office success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. So this time we will start with Rigby. I find Angela Bassett to be immensely talented. When you look at the metrics of how we score our actors, pop culture, impact, awards footprint, just general you know, personality, any sort of, whether they've been in trouble with the law or whether they have in, been in trouble in Hollywood, she scores high on all of those. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, the fact that she's so trusted by really sort of impactful filmmakers like John Singleton has now passed away, Spike Lee, and just, yeah, and Ryan Murphy, who's like, you know, one of the big wigs in Hollywood right now, uh, even though he's not really a film guy, everything that Ryan Murphy touches, like, you know, it's like a cash cow for for these networks that he produces stuff for. So just shows how much she's respected in Hollywood. So she's going to get one of my higher scores. She's going to get an 86. James. In order, she has portrayed uh, Betty Shabazz, Rosa Parks, Michelle Obama, Coretta Scott King. That's in order. Uh, it, and those are just famous women in famous black women in American history. And then. When it comes to music, she portrayed Tina Turner 
and directed a movie about Whitney Houston, two of the most famous black singers in music history. Mm. She's one of 10 African-American actresses to be nominated for a Best Actress Oscar. Still the, the first and only African-American recipient of the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Musical Comedy. She clearly chooses roles to be a good role model and represent black women in a positive way or story or tell stories about black women that haven't been portrayed uh, in media before, like in waiting to exhale or how Stella got a groove back. Um, what I will say is that the only thing I kind of take away from her, cause you can't take away from her pop culture impact. You know, you say her name and immediately everyone's like, Oh, of course I know who that is. The only thing I kind of take away from is there's some duds, like there's some dud movies and yeah. She ha- she's been nominated for so many awards, but for some reason just can't get the wins. But Rigby also, I'm going to give a very high score. I think she's a commanding presence, and I think I don't know if I've seen her in a role that I thought she did a bad job. And I think what is she asked to do, she nails it. And for someone who is so proudly trying, proudly wants to be a role model for Black women, I think she does an amazing job. Um, I'm going to give her an 81. Your Kier, guess Munson. What do we got? A lot of similar vibes. Um, you know. Kind of going off of what James was saying, like I, I'm just blown away that somebody has been able to play so many historical figures, mm-hmm. and I think not, and and strangely, like not have one of those roles define her. Yeah. Like I think that's the risk of when, like when you play, when you play a historical figure who again is like immediately recognizable, and like we, like we discussed, like a lot of these again, these people were in the prime of their careers and in in a few situations and not have that like completely dominate who they are. I don't think anybody describes Angela Bassett as like, Oh, that, that actress who played fill in person here, it's all Angela Bassett. So I think like that is just, a, I think again, a testament to her ability to kind of take on whoever that person is, you know, fact or fiction and be able to become them in that role. So I, again, I think, I think that that's incredibly impressive. You know, I thought earlier, I can't remember who said it. Someone said like, not a lot of comedic roles. Like one, I don't like comedy movies. So I'm like, down <laughs> with that. but she's still in these rom-coms. And so, you know, I think I, I still give her some points for that. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give her an 85. I love that. She's a leading lady in most of her projects as it, after what's love got to do with it. That kind of is a turning point of her career, getting into leading roles. I mean, I think she plays powerful female characters better than pretty much anybody we've covered. Yeah. Um, her roster of famous historical women, is crazy and i think her, the the fact of her voicing the first female tra- transformer is a really cool fact i think it's a, a nice little nugget to kind of show the trust that they put in her to your point yorkie i i will say and i got kind of burned on this with james marsden long ago where i was trying to convince everybody to give marsden a higher score it's, he's got it he like her has a wide variety of types of genres and projects they're in, but the types of roles she has, there's a little less diversity in that. It, there's a few archetypes of the, the roles she plays. She does them well. They're right in her bag. But in terms of range, she's going to take a little bit of a hit from me because some of that comedic stuff, that's not there. She got the one Oscar nom, but again, hasn't quite reached the awards level and echelon. And, you know, I only put so much weight into that. That's okay. Love that she's a proud honorary Delta actor, director, producer, all around badass. And the I like to try to figure out like one trend that they do well. Last time with Lena, it was like her use of nonverbals to convey emotion. I think Angela is at her best when she is pontificating with emphasis. So when she she can give monologues better than 
most Ooh. performers we've covered. Like she will lay into someone with emphasis, and I think that's when she's at her best. So with all that, I'm going to give her an 83, and Case is going to round us out. You guys have basically stolen all of my material, so there's nothing left to say. And Kyle, you stole my score of an 83. So with that, that gives Angela Bassett an 83.6, which puts her in sixth place, sandwiched between Willem Dafoe and Laura Linney. What do we think about that? Sweet. Love that. How do you feel about it specifically, though, Rigby? (laughs) Is it fair? I think it's very fair. I think it's fair. It's definitely much higher than her box office score. That's for sure. At 34th, she is she has surpassed that by a significant margin. So Lenny's Lenny's our fifth. What's our top five? Uh, Lenny's seventh. So top five. Oh, Lenny. Phil Seymour Hoffman, number one. Jamie Lee Curtis, two. Emma Thompson, three. Jim Carrey, four. Defoe, five. Bassett, six. Damn, that is a good list. That is a really good list. It's a very good list. Love it. James, what does she have coming? So they are currently filming uh, the follow-up to Black Panther, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And she's actually the main villain in a video game that just came out called Horizon Forbidden West. Um, One of my friends actually says the first version of this is one of his favorite games that he ever played. It's like a post-apocalyptic world where animals and machines have kind of morphed into one another after the invention of ai and it's a really good game um and then she's gonna be in the black panther sequel that should be coming out later this year the next episode is going to land on march 24th and jeff reed our australian guest friend who is here with us for the touch will be uh, joining us for that one here's the five actors on that wheel Amanda Peet, Rob Hubel, Tyler Perry, Kate Winslet, and Robert Loggia. What do we love? What do we dislike from that list? I mean, I think the conventional wisdom is Kate Winslet there, just because she's super talented and has done TV and film and won some Oscars. And yeah, just she's just crushing it. Um, would love to do her. We'd get to watch some awesome movies. But is she the... Lady with the HBO show, East Town or something? Yeah, Mayor of East Town, yeah. Great show. Mayor of East Town. Oh man. She's also in one of my one of my favorite movies that not a lot of people have seen called Little Children from two thousand six. It's a really good movie. We could debate if there was room on the uh, the door in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> have that debate. Was there room for Leo? We can have that conversation. I still haven't forgiven her for that. Well, we could do uh, Tyler Perry would be exciting because we really dig into the Medea universe. I think that would be most of the conversation, most likely. Yeah, that and Gone Gone Girl. Girl. And uh, he's in Don't Look Up. He is in Don't Look Up. He's a news anchor, yep. I thought he was great in Don't Look Up. I thought he was great in Gone Girl. I do not find the Medea movies entertaining at all. Yeah. Uh, But I do think he was great in those two roles. He's a genius. He built his own audience from from the ground. And that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the guy is a, and he's just a, yeah. everything he touches pretty much makes money and turns to gold, so. It's great. The two picks for me, I'd be interested in Robert Loggia just be to, like, watch some older movies, and you could rewatch Scarface and some other stuff, but I think Amanda Peet is really funny, and, like, uh, Saving Silverman. Oh, Saving Silverman's mm-hmm. a classic. This is me, this is my dad dropping me on my <laughs> head. 
Love that movie. And we dig into a deep Neil Diamond cuts, so that'd be exciting. James, who would be your pick of the uh, the five? It's Kate Winslet by far, but I do like Robert Loggia mostly because he's a very intimidating Italian man, and I respect that. <laughs> yeah, and we have we covered Independence Day yet? No, I don't think so. He's like the general or something in that, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a he's like a defense Department of Defense guy. Rob Hubel's another comedic actor. He plays a lot of hilarious characters in movies. I mean, Rob Hubel in I Love You Man is one of the one of the funniest characters ever as the as the real estate marketing <laughs> guru. Are you the guy who put your face on those urinal cakes? I'm pretty sure I pissed on your face. Yeah. <laughs> I pissed on your face, man. It's a lot of TV with him. You know, it's a lot of the smaller, like one or two episode spots. So not a ton of movies to pick from, but it would be entertaining. That's for sure. Kate Winslet's the the primo pick there. Mm-hmm. Yorkie, who would you pick if you had a choice? Uh, yeah, I'd have to go with Kate Winslet. With my dad's schedule, I wouldn't have the time <laughs> to watch like pretty much every movie under any of these other talented people. Uh, yeah, a lot of comedy, so you gross. I don't want to deal with any of that. So I'd have to go with Kate Winslet. So what would the what would Jeff, our Australian friend, pick? What do we think? Kate Winslet. That's really well. I hope he continues to choose Italian actors, then and goes from Stanley Tucci last time to Robert Loggia. The Loge. Oh, maybe see a trend here. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out in a week uh, when the wheel decides. Because Jeff doesn't decide, we don't decide. The wheel decides. The wheel decides sometimes. It better fucking decide, Kate Winslet. (laughs) (laughs) Yerky. We appreciate you taking some time out of dad life. I know you were just in busy ass time in your work life, but we always love having you here, man. Any yeah, dude. plugs for life, for projects you're working on, wise words for audience, the uh, floor is yours. Yeah, you know, be a dad or be a mom. Like, that's cool. Or don't, you know, do whatever fits best with your world. Watch Bumblebee. <laughs> for the love of God, give that movie a shot. <laughs> Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's always a blast. It's a busy time, but you know, glad to glad to fit it into the schedule. Just going for that, going keep, trying to keep that top three streak alive, trying to improve my batting average. So, you know, <laughs> let me know if I can give us another shot. Uh, well, you're definitely getting another shot. You're batting. You will get other batting plate appearances. So, mm-hmm. I think we'll get to say that. I will maybe watch a Fast and Furious movie next time. Oh, is that the commitment? We'll get one from maybe. God damn it. We got to I think by the time we see you next, it'll be like seven months. So you'll have a while. You should watch. You should introduce your young child to a Fast and the Ferris movie to really no, you shouldn't. help them yeah. understand Vin Diesel. That's what I've read when they when they talk about screens and, and uh-huh. infants. They're like, yeah, none except for Fast and Furious. Where else movies. are they going to learn about family? Then from the Fast and Furious franchise, you can't teach them as well as Vin Diesel can. I've heard those movies are about family. There you go. Remember when Baby Einstein was like a trend? That's now the trend is you need as much Dominic Toretto. (laughs) Your child needs to absorb it. That is how you get further in life. So as we wrap things up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Angela Bassett? And ghosts can't talk. You know how I know that? Because if ghosts could talk, they would say something before disappearing, or at least leave a note. But they can't. So ipso facto, you're a ghost. Fudge 
you. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Who dis? What kind of way is that to answer the phone?